his army of evil on the march, Bird Degaton appears to have time on his side. But when duty calls, they answer, bringing the fight for freedom to the front lines. They are the mystery men and women known as the Justice Society of America. Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of Justice Society Presents, the podcast feed where we celebrate some of our favorite comics and characters associated with the golden age of comics, Earth 2, the JSA, and beyond. Now, today's discussion is going to be a standalone episode, and it's a very exciting topic. We can't wait to tell you about it. But first, my name, if you're not aware, is the Irredeemable Shag, and I'm one of your hosts. Thanks for being here, folks. Along with me is my co-host, the Earth 2, Rob Kelly. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. I got my yellow gloves on. I am ready to podcast. <laughs> so, Rob, why don't you tell the people at home, because uh, they may be a little confused, because, you know, this this podcast feed just launched, you know, and, and a little while ago, and the first episode was all about Justice Society Presents Crisis, where we're talking about JLA, JSA, and now we're talking about something different. I promise I'll, we're going to get back to those. What are we doing today? Yeah, I'll do my best because I'm a little confused as well. Basically, yeah, this is part <laughs> of the part of the larger feed, as Shag just said, is the Justice Society Presents feed on the Fine Water Podcast Network, and that is going to be the umbrella title for lots of different shows. And uh, Shag and I already did the first episode of one of the JSA-related shows, which is Crisis, where we're talking about the JLA-JSA team-ups. But then we're also going to have one-shots covering different JSA or Earth 2-related topics, and that is this is going to be that episode where we're going to be talking about... A a brand new novel, uh, an actual prose novel starring the Justice Society. It's called JSA Ragnarok. And it is written by comics legend Paul Kupperberg, our friend Paul Kupperberg. And Paul is going to be here to talk about this novel. It was really nice of him to write a whole novel to tie in perfectly with our new show. That was a really, uh, he really did us a solid. It's very thoughtful. In fact, Paul is so such a forerunner in these things. He wrote the book 15 years ago, just getting ready for this podcast feed. So exactly. I'm pretty impressed. Yeah, he's so wait, wait. plans ahead, that guy. That's right, folks. We're talking about a novel. We're not talking about funny pictures. There's no four colors in here, man. This is black and white book, and it's fan-damn-tastic. Now, before we get into it, though, we do need to take a second to thank our sponsors. Folks, uh, this episode of Just Society Presents is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping over $50 or more. What'd you bring, Rob? Of course. Now, as I said, uh, the name of the book that we're going to be talking about is JSA Ragnarok. I decided to pick something from Minstock Trades featuring a different Ragnarok, in this case, the Mighty Thor. Uh, this is the Mighty Thor epic collection, When Titans Clash. Uh, it features the Ragnarok storyline that Thor got involved in in the mid-60s. These stories uh, reprint. This book reprints Journey into Mystery, numbers 110 through 125, and annual number one, and then Thor, numbers 126 through 130, and even a story from Not Brand Act number three, which I love, <laughs> I love that detail. I threw that in there. This is, of course, by Lee and Kirby, as if I had to tell you that. It's 504 pages. This is one giant block of Thor comics you can get. It's got, on the cover, it's got him fighting the Absorbing Man, but he also, in these stories, sticks on the Grey Gargoyle, the Destroyer, where Loki, of course, if Loki's always involved. Hercules shows up. I mean, it's just, it's classic 60s Thor. The normal price, $39.99. In stock trades price, $23.99. You save 42% off. So again, it's the Mighty Thor epic collection, When Titans Clash. 
Awesome. Well, I went for, uh, since we're doing JSA here, and it's this particular novel has both the modern-day era JSA and the JSA from the 40s, I picked one of the classic JSA stories focusing on the 1940s era. So Justice Society of America, The Demise of Justice hardcover. So the comic was actually written in the 90s, but it focuses, on, again, on the Golden Age characters, the JSA, as they're fighting Solomon Grundy and Vandal Savage. It was originally an eight-issue miniseries, so this collects that eight issues, plus they throw in Adventure Comics 466 and All-Star Comics number 50. 57, which would be the last of the you know original uh, JSA line. So you've got a lot of different writers in here because it's pulling from different places. You've got Len Straszewski, Paul Levinson, John Broom. Art, check out the list of these artists. Joe Staten, Frank Giacoya, Rich Bursette, uh, Grant Meehan, Mike Parabek, Tom Artis. There's some fan. Oh, and it's all wrapped up in a Tom Lyle cover. So the thing just looks absolutely gorgeous. It's full cover. I'm sorry, full, full color. It's a hard cover. It normally uh, goes forth. $39.99, and that's 256 pages for $39.99. But you get it on in-stock trades right now for 42% off, so it's only $23.19. So it's a fantastic buy. Uh, these are both out there on in-stock trades. You can also pick up a couple of Paul Kupperberg Archie books out on in-stock trades as well. So uh, for all your trade paperback needs, please visit InStockTrades.com. Now, we also need to take a second to thank you folks at home for your Patreon support. Because, you know, running the Fire and Water Podcast Network with so many shows requires a lot of online hosting and other services. And our Patreon helps to keep the network going. So if you're enjoying shows like this, uh, the best way to support us is by visiting that website. What is it, Rob? Patreon.com slash podcast. And uh, while you're there, you can consider supporting the network. And at certain sponsorship tiers, you'll get mentioned on your favorite Fire and Water show. Just like these folks who asked to be mentioned on JSA Presents. So our thanks to Kichi Baker, Joe Tonello. David A. Gutierrez, and Gord Tolton. Again, folks, visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash fwpodcast. Now, Rob, I have got my book right here in front of me, written by Paul Kupperberg. Well, I'm going to talk about it in the interview, but I'm just, I love this thing so much. So Paul comes in, famous comic book writer, writing his novels. Why don't you tell the folks at home, if they don't know who Paul Kupperberg is, and if they don't, shame on you. Why don't you tell them a little about Paul? Well, yeah, Paul's a legendary writer, a legendary name in the business. He's been writing comics since the 70s. He started out in the Charlton comics, the late lamented Charlton comics. Uh, he has written, if you go through his uh, his bibliography over at Mike's Amazing World, especially he's written for, as I said, Charlton, DC, Marvel, other companies first. But really, it, it's DC. He's written virtually every character. You can think of in the DC universe, Superman, Batman, Aquaman, the Atom, the Doom Patrol, Nightwing and Flamebird. Everybody loves those. The Legion of Superheroes, <laughs> uh, his creation, Arion, Lord of Atlantis. He had a long run on Supergirl. He's written war stories. He's written sci-fi stories. He wrote some of my favorite Justice League of America one-shot stories. He's written stuff for Ghost. He's written uh, fill-ins for, like, Warlord. He wrote an issue of Firestorm, even. He's done stuff for World's Finest, DC Comics Presents, Superman Family. I mean, it just goes on and on and on, his credits. And uh, he has been a, uh, a really great friend of me over the years, ever since we uh, I, I said something nice about his Aquaman run uh, over on my late lamented Aquaman Shrine blog. And uh, that's how we connected. And we've been friends ever since and uh, he's just a really great guy and it's it's uh, super cool to be able to, to have him on the show to talk about this new book because this is I mean he's written other books other uh, comics prose novels we'll talk about them in the interview but I mean this is really exciting he's got this brand new JSA story and as we mentioned it's the longest JSA story ever written because uh, it's, it's you know it's 300 pages so it's just really fun to be able to to talk to Paul about this uh, really uh, exciting new book. Well, I, I think that says it all right there. So why don't we do a quick podcast promo break? When we come back, we're going to sit down with Paul Kupperberg. You're listening to Prairie Justice, a Greg Sanders vigilante podcast. 
is an exploration of the DC Comics character, the first superhero to use the name of the Vigilante. First published in Action Comics 42 in September 1941, amid comics' golden age and carried as a continuous feature, during those years the Vigilante was also a member of the Seven Soldiers of Victory. He was one of the first DC heroes to appear on the cinema screen in his own serial. Reappearing in the Bronze Age, the Vigilante had a 1970s renaissance throughout the DC Universe. Greg Sanders, the Prairie Troubadour, leads a double life as a modern country and western musician, while also delivering justice throughout North America as a mass crime fighter, using the tactics and weapons of his rural Wyoming upbringing with his friends Billy Gunn and Stuff Leong, Many a nefarious scheme was foiled with six guns, ingenuity, a motorcycle, and a twirling lariat. Howdy, I'm Ranger Gord. Help me follow the trail of the Vigilante on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. All right, folks, and as promised, we are here with the author of JSA Ragnarok, Mr. Paul Kupperberg himself. Paul, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thanks. Good to be here, wherever I am. <laughs> Well, Rob and I have both read this book. We devoured it, quite frankly, and absolutely loved it. And we're really looking forward to a chance to talk to you about it. Thank you. Good. I'm looking forward to uh, to, to, to answering. All right. <laughs> well, Rob, before we start the torture and all the questions, you want to kick us off on the recap of the of the story? Yeah, we're going to get a very brief plot. We don't want to spoil anything because we want you, uh, all, all you out there listening to this, to read this fine book. But here's the uh, the plot synopsis. We took it off of Amazon because this doesn't spoil much of anything. It's a, and I wrote it, so it should be accurate. Oh, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> perfect. Assume, okay. That assumes Rob uh, transcribed it properly. I've already fixed a couple of his titles. Well, it's from the original Russian, so I don't know if he'll be able to. So. <laughs> so, in, <laughs> in the closing days of the Second World War, the Justice Society of America prevented the villainous wizard from unleashing a deadly magical evil upon the world, but it didn't prevent him from making a deal with the devil, a deal that may now doom the JSA. In New York, Mr. Terrific barely survives an attack by the Tigress. Across town, Power Girl is grounded by the power of Count Vertigo. In Keystone City, Jakeem Thunder and his magical Thunderbolt face off against Blackbriar Thorn. In Blue Valley, Stargirl feels the power of the Geomancer. Why have the villains of the Injustice Society of America suddenly declared war? The answer spans the globe, as in faraway Casablanca, a collector of antiquities is murdered by a mysterious woman thief for what appears to be a minor Roman relic. And on a German waterfront, an old man kills a young man to steal a World War II artifact. These events point legendary heroes, Green Lantern, Flash, Wildcat, and their JSA teammates to the wizard in a threat they believe they destroyed in the last days of World War II. But now, the Spear of Destiny, the powerful, mystical weapon once wielded by Adolf Hitler himself, has surfaced again, bringing with it an evil from out of the JSA's past and the promise of a fate worse than death. Now, Mr. Terrific, Power Girl, and the other members of the world's first super team must break an evil half-century-old pack or be doomed forever to a living hell. Mm-hmm. That was very Ted Knight uh, Super Friends there. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, with an interview with Paul Kupperberg. <laughs> so, all right, Paul, I mean, uh, we have so much stuff to ask you about, but let's start at the beginning. Like, how, I mean, how did this come about? How did you come to writing a, a novel of the Justice Society? Well, I was hired. Um, this goes, actually goes back to about 2004, uh, early 2005, when... Um, uh, DC Comics uh, had uh, was in a licensing deal with I, or rather iBooks was in a licensing deal with DC Comics, and they published a whole bunch of uh, novels that uh, 
uh, were sourced out of D.C. Uh, um, I edited a Green Lantern trilogy. Uh, there was a, a Marv Wolfman's Crisis on Infinite Earths novel. There's a whole bunch of stuff from my books uh, during that period. And Justice Society was, uh, was one of them. Uh, this was supposed to be book one of a trilogy. But um, I wrote the novel. And um, literally, the weekend I was finishing it, writing it, um, the publisher, Byron Price uh, of iBooks, uh, was killed in a car accident. Mm. and uh but it was still you know, go ahead keep writing we're still publishing you know it's a uh, and then literally the week that the book was supposed to go to press in early 2006 iBooks declared bankruptcy and the book was never published oh <laughs> man man yeah um so um uh you know it's been sitting in limbo literally <laughs> For uh, you know, for 15 years, and finally, um, I managed to arrange to uh, uh, to be able to publish it, uh, self-publish it through Crazy Eight Press, and um, now it's out there for the whole world to see. Well, you mentioned the sequels. Uh, you did mention that in your afterward as well, the 2020 afterward. That kind of got my attention. Limbo and Freedom. Any chance you might ever uh, put, I guess, not pen to paper nowadays, pixel to screen and uh, crank those um, out sometime? Unlikely. No, I don't think so. I mean. Um, you know, sitting down to write one of these things is a is a commitment. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, when there's a paycheck at the other end, it's you know, <laughs> you make that commitment. Um, and besides that, you know, it would require all kinds of licensing deals that uh, uh, that uh, I'm sure are not available. Totally understand. Totally understand. That's uh, you just mentioned something, Paul, about the commitment that you have to show to this. I mean, like you've written other novels based on superheroes. I know that, you know, you've written like you've written some Marvel novels and stuff. And like, right. how, how do you I mean, you've written a million comic books, but that's a completely different discipline and completely different kind of medium. Like, what did you how can you explain the, the process a little bit sitting down? Like when you said you were contracted sort of to do this, did, were you given any instruction on what it was or was just we want a JSA novel and then you deliver it to us? I mean, what, how do you even start writing something this huge? Because, I mean, in terms of page count, like this is like the longest JSA story ever written. I guess. Yeah. Um, well, um, fortunately, um, uh, you know, this going through D.C., um, they got Jeff Johns to um, to create uh, the, the outline for the trilogy. Oh wow! So, oh, okay. So the story is is broad strokes is is um, is Jeff's. So I was working off of that. Okay. All right. Oh, all right. Okay. I mean, but so had that not existed, I would have done what I would do with you know a comic book story, which is sat down and plotted it. Um, you know, it's the difference is it's a longer plot. You know, a longer, more involved plot. You know, uh, on that at that level. Actually, you know, writing is writing. It, it's it's weird. I mean. I, I always, uh, I grew up wanting to be a writer. You know, I thought I was going to grow up and become a novelist, you know, short story writer. That was, that was my ambition. Um, you know, the comic books came around and that was great because you have to make a living while you're, you know, becoming, uh, uh, Norman Mailer. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, so, you know, it's just a, it's just a kind of a, a subtle mindset. It's like, all right. You know, when I'm writing a novel, I'm, you know, writing it this way. I'm, I'm adding this type of description and that type of, you know, all the stuff that you don't read in a comic book script. You know, the, the, 
70% of the comic book script that goes unread. Right. You write that in, in a novel just, you know, better. <laughs> that was something I was wondering about because, I mean, obviously this, this story has fight scenes in it. It has to. It's superheroes. But it's not, it's not like a comic book where you can sort of lean on that a little bit or hand it yeah. over to the artist to just, you know, hey, give me four pages of some real great fisticuffs. I mean, you have to have a lot more characterization going on uh, yeah. as you're sitting down to write. I mean, again, you've been doing this in one form or another since like the 70s. So I mean, you have some experience with this. But uh, I mean, again, like, so did you, so you said you worked from the, the plot from, from Jeff, the over the outline from, from Jeff. Yeah. I mean, it's like, um, what, how much are you like, I want to say you're filling in because you're writing it at this point, but like, do you, did you have all the characters set out? Did you have like, was it immediately like, okay, I'm going to use the, uh, the, the spear of destiny on it or, you know, like how much of it were you filling in? Well, the outline was, you know, a page and a half, two pages. So, oh, wow. okay. That's very little. Yeah. Then. yeah. So, I mean, you know, it was just, again, the broad strokes of the story. Um, you know, there were certain characters that were called for because of, you know, um, uh, of the story itself that, you know, Jeff would say, you know, Green Lantern and Flash and whatever, because, you know, the, the story plays off of, um, of, uh, the last days of the Justice League, the, the, um, the Roy Thomas, uh, Dave Ross, David Ross, mm-hmm. uh, uh, special. So, um, you know, there's kind of a follow up to that. So, you know, there are certain characters that are dictated mm-hmm. by that story that, that they're going to be there. Um, but you know, otherwise I was just pulling in who I needed or who I wanted to, you know, it's like, you know, during the, uh, the story is split in, in two different eras. It's the 1940s, uh, just at the end of world war two, um, uh, JSA. And then there's a modern day JSA. Right. Um, and you know, in the 40s stuff, it was like, you know, I just want to have Dr. Fate and Spectre sitting at the table, <laughs> you know, because they'd be cool to write. You know, I wanted to, I, I, I wanted to, you know do that, uh, you know, I, I describe other people's reactions to Jim Corrigan. You know, it's like, you know, well, we know he's a dead man. You know, he's a corpse. And we're sitting here having this conversation with him, you know. So, you know, to be able to, to, to play with that kind of stuff was uh, was a lot of fun. I'm, I, 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 I always just want to specifically touch on the 1940s part, if I could. I, I loved that part of the book where we jump back too. into the 40s. Me too. And, uh, that was the best part to write. Well, and, and I'm glad you went there because that's exactly what I was going to ask you because you included a lot of like historical – the best word I could come up with was like texture in those chapters that really made that era come alive, and I found it fascinating. So first off, did you did you require a lot of reference material to look back at the 40s and get the lingo and the clothes and all that right? And did you have a preference? It sounds like you did for which era you liked writing, the 40s or the, or the 2005 chapters. Well, um, you know, I'm kind of a history buff to begin with, so a lot of that stuff just kind of comes naturally – and, um, you know, I was, as I was talking to my, my, my girlfriend earlier today, I said, you know, I was, was writing a, a short story recently and I had the protagonist, you know, uh, grabbing a hot dog at, at, at a place in L.A. And I spent five minutes online researching whether they serve Pepsi or Coke. <laughs> yeah. So I will go for, you know, I will look for that type of, of, of detail. I remember another short story I did. It was a, a, a YA thing. And it's a time travel bit, and they're going back to the speakeasy era of mm. late 1920s. And I wanted to make sure that I had the traffic going in the right direction on, you know, 27th Street in, in 1929. So I researched that. Wow. You know, so... <laughs> so <laughs> how do you, how do you even find that? <laughs> well, you know, uh, I was interviewed uh, uh, recently on something, and, and one of the... Uh, uh, 
a lot about my book, uh, Paul Kupperberg's Illustrated Guide to Writing Comics. Um, and one of the interviewers were talking about what really impressed him right from the start in the book. He said, you talk about verisimilitude. And he goes, you know, people don't talk about that. Certainly, you know, and not a great detail, but that's what you're going for. You're going for, you're trying to recreate a feeling of reality. Uh, so if I'm doing a story set in 19, you know, on, 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 uh, on uh, VE day in 1945, I want to get the details right. I want to make sure I, I, you know, I want to get the fact, you know, where was that, where was that Statue of Liberty replica to, to sell war bonds? You know, where was that located? Where, you know, what was, what street was it? So I want to know that stuff because somebody at some point is going to read it and go, no, you schmuck. It was on 46th street. <laughs> and, you know, then I don't want to get the letter, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, that's, I should mention, Paul, that your your guide to illustrating your illustrated guide to writing comics is sitting here on my desk as we're talking. This is this is me banging it on the desk, so I have it right here next to your JSA novel. Very nice. <laughs> this, this explains a lot because Rob loves, and I can't even pronounce verisimilitude. I can't even say the word verisimilitude. Verisimilitude. Love that word. Yeah. Rob uses it all the time on the shows, and I think he just uses it as a big word to make himself sound intelligent. But clearly, he got it from a very intelligent person, so now I have to give him some credit for it. Well, no, before he met me, he used to think it had to do with, with, with worms. <laughs> Paul, Paul has taught me a lot of things over the years about, you know, how Radio Shack computers work. It's all sorts of, I've learned lots of things. from All kinds of things. You know, I, I showed him gladiator movies. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, let's move on. So uh, <laughs> I was curious about something, Paul. You mentioned that you were sort of contracted to write this. You were asked to write it. I mean, aside from writing Power Girls solo series, which you did, and I know you scripted one issue of All-Star Squadron with, with Roy, you really have... Did you do three? Oh, I thought you just okay. I thought you just three, did, one. You yeah. did three. I thought I had done two. It turned out I did three. Yeah. Okay. All right. You really haven't written the JSA characters as a team really much no. at all. And so, uh, was the was the Justice Society something that like you've always wanted to write? Was there I mean, you haven't written a JSA story outside of this novel? Is that something you were just like, oh, I'd love to get a shot at those characters? You just never oh, sure. really had. Sure. Uh, you know the the Golden Age. Um, the golden age versions of these guys are just like, you know, I grew up, you know, naturally on the, on the silver age stuff. You know, I was, uh, started reading comics in the early sixties and by the mid sixties, you know, when, when stuff was starting to happen, you know, I was the right age. I was 10, 11, 12, 13 years old, um, you know, to, to, to get immersed in this stuff. Um, but you know, from, from, uh, justice league number 21 on, it was like, Oh crap. These guys are cool. <laughs> <laughs> you know, these, you know, Green Lantern, um, and and Jay Garrick. Uh, you know, I, I always have had a special. Uh, I, I need to tell my connection, my, my JSA connection story. Oh yes, absolutely. yeah. You gotta let you gotta tell people what yes. that is. Yeah. Um, when uh, the Flash of Two Worlds from uh, Flash One Twenty One, Twenty Three, excuse me, uh, came out in nineteen sixty one. I read it in, I guess, 65, 66 in a Flash annual. And that's a story where, for the first time, Barry Allen discovers, you know, crosses the, the dimensional barrier to Earth 2 and meets Jay Garrick. This is the first time you've seen any of these guys since, you know, 1950. And um, so Flash runs across the bridge into Keystone City, confused, where am I? 
looks around, goes to a newsstand and picks up a newspaper. And it says, you know, the Keystone Gazette. And underneath it is the paper's date, June 14th, 1961. And my birthday is June 14th. <laughs> oh, wow. So, so the multiverse was born on my birthday. <laughs> and, um, you know, that was like, that was it. You know, it's like, well, yes, you know, and, and then they started showing up in, in, in other comics and, you know, that was it. I, I love those guys. They were just, you know, insanely great. Did you ever have a chance to tell Julie, Julia Schwartz that, that detail? Yes, I did. Um, uh, and uh, I, I said to him, I, I asked him why June 14th, because Julie's birthday is June 19th. So if you were, you know, why not do that? Because um, I had always assumed that it was uh, the, the um, on sale date or the shipping date. Mm-hmm. But no, that, it, it went on sale in July. So, uh, so I said to Julie, why did you pick that date? And you went, I don't know. It was probably the shipping date or the, (laughs) but then you, but then, you know, years later when you, when you have things like, you know, Mike's, uh, world of wonderful world of comics or whatever, you can check on sale dates, Mm -hmm. you know, you find out, no, that's not it. So I don't know why that date showed up. Um, you know, but there it was. And, uh, and I was, I was in. I even got to tell the story to John Wesley John Wesley Ship. So. Oh, really? Oh, wow! <laughs> he thought this- it, he thought it was almost mystical. <laughs> it is. It absolutely is. I mean, there's 365 dates to pick from, and that's the one they pick. Yeah, it's kismet. Yeah. It was all meant to happen. It was yeah. all meant to happen. So, growing up, I mean, did you have favorite? I, well, it's too, this is kind of a two part question. Do you have? Did you have favorite characters from the JSA growing up? Uh, the ones that you liked the most, and of the ones in the book, uh, were there ones that were kind of more fun to write than others? I mean, they're like, did you find yourself like, oh, you know, I keep interjecting, uh, you know, Johnny Thunder into this because I really like John- writing Johnny Thunder? Yeah. Um, uh, my, I liked the, the, fir- the, the earliest ones, show, you know, there were so many of them, though. I mean, you know, um, Julie was not only were they showing up annually in the, in the J- JLA, but Julie was doing these, you know, in the Adam, the, the, um, uh, you know, Golden Age Adam shows up. Mm-hmm. Lantern. You know, there's there's um, uh, Alan Scott showing up, and then you have the showcase and those brave and bold things that um, you know that Murphy Anderson drew with Starman and Black Canary and and Spectre, and, and it was like they were just coming at you um, in those days. Uh, you know, it all kind of like you know didn't realize it when you're living through it, but you know. This was the, you know, the, the, the whole world of comic, but the whole of DC Comics was, you know, being created in front of our very eyes. So I, I liked all those guys. I mean, you know, my preference is the, the, the best ones for me were, were, um, were, were Flash and, and Green Lantern. Um, and Jay Garrick was absolutely my favorite character to write in the, uh, in, in the book. And what hmm. is that? I don't know. I just, you know, I just like the idea of this guy um, who has has every right to be the most impatient human being in the world? <laughs> you know, it's like he's always he's always waiting for people. Um, and uh, uh, but yeah, I don't know. There was just something about him. It just uh, he just I I kind of liked the way he thought and and or the way I think he thought. And it, it just you know I just connected with him. Hmm. 
I, I could see some of that. I mean, definitely there's, there's the chapter in there where he's at the party in the 1940s and you really right. get into Jay's head. You really yeah. do. You're right. And yeah. really connect yeah. with it. Yeah. It was really well. Done. I, I was going to guess that you had connected with Michael Holt because we spent so much time with him as a POV character, uh, the Mr. Terrific, the modern day Mr. Terrific. Yeah. Um, I mean, really, was it? Did you choose to make him sort of the, one of the main POV characters, or was that, or was that, you know, part of the the brief? No, no, I uh, I picked him. I, I mean, you know, I thought it would be a, uh, 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 you know, look, it, you know, not a lot of African American characters in comics. Let's showcase those that we can. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's also a great character. I mean, you know, I I started off with all right, let's see what I can do with this guy, but you know, I wound up having you know having fun with them and, and and finding a lot in the in the character um in fact the original um the the original ibooks uh uh book jacket the art um i, I have a um, you know i still have a print out of it uh it was um pickup art from alex ross paintings mm. it was uh it was the michael holt mr terrific and the jay garrick flash standing back to back oh that's awesome yeah so those are the two guys. Those are the two POV characters in the book. But I also had, I had, I had so much fun with with, uh, with uh, Sandman and and Sandy. Mm-hmm. I I did one chapter uh, uh, focused on them in Coney Island. And, that was um, that was great. Even threw in a General Glory reference, which I absolutely adored. <laughs> yes, yes, I I had to get that in there. <laughs> Was the whole bit with uh, with Kara, with Power Girl, liking old movies, was that your conceit? Is that something embedded in the character? I don't remember. Okay. Because um, early on she talks about catching Casablanca. And yeah. I was like, oh, wow. Like, okay, that's something I can relate to. <laughs> so I wondered yeah. if that was something that had been in the character to this point or that was yeah. – you came well, up she with kind of – in, in the book I, – I, I must have picked – it sounds like something I would have picked up. But in the book she uses it as her escape. You know, she, right, right. That's she goes to hide and escape and she ends up sitting, you know, alone in the balcony at the end of the book too. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned that there's Rob mentioned some of those details. I mean, I, I was wondering about that. Like you said, you grew up with the 1940s characters. Like how much research did you feel you had to do to capture the modern JSA, like, or modern story? Cause like, I'll give you one example in the book you had, uh, you mentioned in the 1940s, a romance between, uh, Hippolyta and Wildcat. Right. And I was like, Oh, I guess Paul created that. So I Googled that today. I'm like, Oh no, that was like a reference in a Wonder Woman comic from like the early 2000s. I had no idea. I mean, well, I was the editor. That, that was stuff that Byrne was doing. Oh, was doing. wow. Okay. Yeah. I, I just blew me. I was seriously impressed with it, with the, with the level of an attention to detail with that. Cool. Well, you know, I, 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 I was up on the books. I, I was up on the characters, you know, all start the, the, um, the JSA book uh, that, that, that uh, Jeff Johns was doing at the time. Mm-hmm. Really, really a solid book, very enjoyable, and I kept up with that. Um, and you know, I when you're writing a, a character, when you're picking up a character, you know, in, in, whether it's a comic book story or, or, or in prose, you're you're trying to get as close to you know what came before, but you really. You know, you can only go so far, and then you're going to put your own stamp on things. You know, I remember years ago, Byrne and I had a, were having a discussion, and we were grumbling and mumbling and groaning about how, you know, people were screwing up Superman, and, you know, <laughs> they don't write it right anymore. You know, nobody's, nobody's doing the real Superman anymore. And midway through my grumble, I realized, you know, for all the Superman work that John and I both did, we weren't doing the real Superman either. 
<laughs> ever did the real Superman were Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster. Hmm. The only people who ever did the real Batman are, are, are Bob Kane and Bill Finger. You know, those are the people who did the real character. Everybody else is, is layering their own stuff on top of the original. Um, you know, I, I mean, my Superman was was closer to, you know, was was still close to the Superman that came before him. Um, but but very different because, you know, I'm not Jerry Siegel and I'm not, uh, you know, uh, uh, other writers whose names I'm blanking on who wrote the character. It's never the real thing. It's always your interpretation of the thing. Deep, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, since you said you were up on the characters, I'll, I'll take us in that direction. So you wrote this in 2005, which is right. sort of interesting from a time capsule perspective because that was a pretty transformative year for DC Comics at that point with Infinite Crisis and everything. And it touched on some of these characters. I mean, Power Girl got completely changed during that. And, yeah. and, and um, so being that you kind of had your finger on the pulse of what was going on, did you, because you even mentioned in the book how she, you know, she didn't have an origin and things like that. Did you know going in that that was going to be a major issue in a lot of DC Comics in 2005, that Power Girl would origin would be explored? I didn't know it was going to be a major thing. Or, or I didn't, no, I don't think I knew it was a major thing. Um, um, but it just seemed the way to go. You know, it's, I mean, mm-hmm. it, it had been mentioned and, you know, it was, it was a thing in the books, but, you know, it's a great character bit. It's like, you know, I'm surrounded by all these people and, and, and they all know where they came from and who they are. And, you know, I'm, I don't, I don't have a secret origin. Right. Well, it's so secret that even I don't know it. <laughs> Then one other continuity aspect about 2005, I guess this one's not really a question so much, but it's just, I, I found it very interesting with Michael Holt, again, being such the POV character that leading right after that, after 2005, he becomes a main character in Greg Rucka's Checkmate book, which, you know, of course you helped create Checkmate. So there's just a, there either was a lot of synergy going on there with this or just a really happy accident. I didn't know which. Happy but it, accident. Okay. I don't even think I read Rucka's uh, Checkmate. Oh, really? Okay, gotcha. Right, nothing against Greg. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm, I, I've liked other stuff he's written. It's just, you know, hard to look at your baby after somebody has mutilated. I mean, put their own stamp on. <laughs> we're, back, we're back to what I just said about, you know, writing the character. You know, he ain't writing Checkmate. I wrote Checkmate. You wrote the real Checkmate. Right. <laughs> he's doing his variation on Checkmate, so... Well, don't don't feel bad about your response. I, I was at a panel with Jeff Johns and Julie Schwartz, and I guess someone asked basically that same question: Do you read a book after you leave it? And everyone's response is no. Once I'm done with a yeah. book, that's that's somebody else's job to take care of that. Yeah. I'm done. I don't want to look back and see what they did. No, in fact, you know, when, when I was writing Arion, Lord of Atlantis, um, I wrote the first three issues, and uh, and 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 I was the the editor, the, the new editor who came on the book, uh, took me off the book because. I kept turning in plots that weren't right, and his, his editorial instructions were, um, fix it. Um, <laughs> For the character you could, created, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And when I couldn't fix it to his satisfaction, he, um, he fired me off my own book and, uh, and hired Doug Munch. Uh, it was Ernie Cologne, by the way. Um, I don't know <laughs> why he was ever hired to be an editor. Wow. But there you have it. Um, anyway, uh, uh, Doug wrote eight issues. And then Ernie left, and uh, and uh, Joe Kubert was handed the title to edit. And Joe called me up and said, "Why aren't you writing your own book?" 
And I said, why don't you ask Ernie? <laughs> but anyway, um, Joe put me back on. And, uh, but I've never read those eight issues that, that Doug wrote. I just can't. I just, gotcha. especially as they're in the, right in the middle of, you know, of, of, of my room. I, I, I don't want to get this off of JSA, but I, now that you've brought it up, Paul, I need to ask you, what was Joe Kubert like as an editor? Because I had him as a teacher, but what was he like as an editor? <laughs> sure. no, no question. No, I mean, you know, I, I, I have nothing but respect and love for Joe Kubert. Um, I think he is one of the few true geniuses that comics have, have produced. Agreed. Um, and, uh, his his editorial advice was uh, short and sweet. Um, one of the first things he said to me was, "There's too much magic in this book." And um, I said, "You know, it's about a sorcerer." <laughs> and he said, yes, but there's too much magic in this book. Uh, let's get rid of the magic. So, so grumbling, I did, and immediately saw the wisdom because I had I was using magic as a crutch for the character. Ah, okay. You know, instead of instead of Joe saying you're using magic as a crutch, stop that, or you know, he just he didn't get rid of the magic. So, <laughs> and then he shook my hand and crushed it. So yes, <laughs> those big, big hands is really really frightening. Okay, that's I had to ask. I'm sorry, Paul. It's just too good to, to not to find Again, out about that. So. I, I'm always I'm always happy to say wonderful things about Joe Cuba. Yeah. Oh, one absolutely. Favorite, so one of my favorite people in this business. Yes. Um, so okay. Well, so, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jack. Well, as you say, while we were on Arion, I did notice you, you had your trademark. You slipped in an Atlantean artifact in the book here. I, I totally oh, yeah. totally saw that. I'm like, okay, Arion, Lord of Atlantis. There we go. Mm-hmm. It's all one big universe. Um, so in terms of JSA stories, and this is something that has come up across all the different podcasts Shag and I have done over the years, like I am a sucker for – I mean I like big stories like anybody else. You know, I like the last days of the JSA where they're fighting Ragnarok or Crisis or whatever. I like all that stuff. But I also really like stories of superheroes kind of just being people together. Yeah. Um, like any cover where like the, you know, the JSA is like having lunch or something, something boring. <laughs> I love it. I eat it. Crisis and infinite lunch. Yeah, basically. Right. You know, it just, I love all that stuff of them being. Quick flash, get to the buffet before all the chicken wings are gone. <laughs> exactly. But like, so this story is certainly big. I mean, it flashes back and you've got all these, you get all these uh, different villains in it. Blackbriar, Blackbriar Thorn, for God's sake, talk about obscure. We're in a Blackbriar Thorn. But like, and it's got the spirit destiny and magic powers, but it also has a lot of just the JSA interrelating as people. And I, I, one of the things I'm sort of curious about is like, do you have, do you have, do you like that kind of stuff? Do you find like there's something um, as a writer kind of really rich to, you just talked about a little bit earlier about the thing with like Spectre, you know, the idea of like, we're talking to a dead guy, you know, what's that really like? So, I mean, as a writer, do you really kind of get into that of like, yeah, yeah, you can write absolutely. these fight scenes, but here's just Jay Clark, and Kara sitting talking. Clark Kent is way more interesting to write than Superman. Hmm. Just you know, Superman is is you know, superheroes um, once they're in the costume and they're and they're 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 doing what they what they do, flying and super speeding, and you know, casting magic willpower through rings. Once they're doing that, they're no longer people. They're, 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 you know, you, you, uh, you, you pull back from them because, you know, it's like you, when, when you have Clark and Lois doing a thing, having, you know, a bit, you can relate to that. You can't 
you know, how much can you really relate to, you know, well, I better push the planet back into its proper orbit. <laughs> um, you know, so uh, when I was writing Superman in the early 80s, um, particularly in Superboy, when I got the chance, I got rid of that, you know, meek and mild crap. It just used to annoy the hell out of me that Clark would walk around all day going, well, I better not catch that baseball or somebody might think I'm Superboy. Well, Pete just caught a baseball and nobody thought he was Superboy. <laughs> um, so I got rid of that stuff. You know, I, he got a girlfriend. He started hanging out with the, with the gang and playing sports and whatever, because that's interesting. You know, that 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 thing we grew up with that, um, you know, I, I better be a real puss or, or you know, everybody's going to think I'm Superman. It's a silly conceit, you know, and it kind of almost makes sense. Well, I mean, sure, it's fine in, you know, 1940s and 50s and, you know, because you look back and really most of that stuff was, you know, infantile crap. So, <laughs> you know, you don't have to really, you know, make them that relatable, that real, because nobody's nobody's even thinking that you're supposed to think they're real. Right. Um, and then, you know, we, we the the readers got older with the, with the comics and started demanding more verisimilitude. Um, there it is there it is again and um you know once you try to bring that into the superhero genre it's kind of difficult because you know you knock a guy through a wall he's supposed to be dead he's not supposed to stand up again and punch the guy you know so when that you know but but the characters sitting around you know sitting at at shrafts and and having you know having lunch um that's fun (laughs) you know that's that you can you can have people, you know, real people talking to one another, even if one of them happens to be a dead man, you know, you and can that, kind of, you know, get, you could, you could buy it. It's easier to buy. Right. Um, and it's and more it, interesting. Yeah. I mean, and as somebody that really likes that kind of stuff, I, I, it wouldn't have occurred to me that the JSA would be the great subject for a novel. Uh, but now that I've read it, it's like, well, that's all the stuff that I really like because yeah, the fight scenes are great, but you can, yeah, they're fight scenes. You know, uh, but it because you're, you're writing a 300 page book, you have so much more room to put in all that stuff. Because, of course, in a comic, you get like a panel or two to get to have a conversation before yeah. somebody yeah. attacks. Yeah, I've got 80,000 words or, or more or whatever to, you know, to, to in this novel and 80,000 words of, you know, of guys in costumes fighting is death. And, you right. know, we've read those superhero novels and they're just they're, you know. They're not good. They're, you know, it's you need you need human beings to 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 engage the reader. Well, I, I'm not gonna. Uh, I won't sugarcoat it. I was dreading going into this, other than it was the JSA, because normally I have read a lot of superhero prose fiction, and sometimes it is a struggle, just as you were saying. Like I, I found a lot that I didn't enjoy. So going to this, I was like, oh, okay. And man, this one just totally, I, I, every page was a joy. I, I was talking to my wife about, I had the stupidest grin on my face on every single page. <laughs> That's the best compliment I could get. Thank you. My, part of it, go ahead. I'm sorry, Paul. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say, my favorite eras of the JSA are the classic 1940s version through a modern-day lens, which is what we got. And then the Jeff Johns era is absolutely phenomenal. And this was just the best of both worlds, and it was just a damn good read. Well, thank you. You know, I, I, um, I, I have a great love and respect for Pulp Fiction, you know, the actual Pulp Fiction and the movie, too. It was, <laughs> but um, but I don't uh, you know, I didn't write that this way. I didn't write this like a Pulp Adventure. 
I, I, I sat down deliberately to approach it as, you know, I, I don't want to, you, you know, as a novel, as, as a not literary novel, but, you know, like a straight novel. I wanted mm-hmm. this, I want, I didn't want to write this over the top and pulpy. I wanted to keep it simple and straight. You know, the prose is not elaborate and everything. It's, you know, um, 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 you know, more Pete Hamill than, uh, than, you know, Gardner Fox. Um, you know, it's not very purple at all. You know, I, I didn't want to write one of those books. I, and I have written those books. You know, the, I wrote a couple of Spider-Man novels in uh, around 1980. And, um, you know, they are, um, they are, uh, they're pretty bad. I mean, <laughs> I, enjoy, I enjoyed them, Paul. I read those. I've enjoyed them. I, they were the best I could do at the time, you know. Um, but looking at it, you know, certainly, I mean, it's 40 years ago. Looking back 40 years is like, well, I'm certainly glad I learned some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that, that leads perfectly into kind of the last thing I want to ask you about is you talked about that you wrote this like 15 years ago and then it's finally being published now. Now you wrote in the afterward that you didn't rewrite it. You know, you, 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 you know, you said you made some tweaks here and there, but you essentially kept what you, what you had. Uh, for you know, different reasons, the continuity, you feel like you want to redo it or whatever. It, it is what it is when you wrote it. But when you went back and rewrote and, and read it, I mean, what was your initial impression of your version of your story from 15 years ago? Were you like, hey, this is, I, this is a lot better than I would have thought? Or, or, and, or sort of a side question, are you a harsh critic of your own work? Do you go back and read some of your own older stuff and you're like, oh, man, other than the Spider-Man novel that you just knocked? Like, do you, <laughs> I, do you, how, what was your feeling about the story having dusted it off for publication 15 years later? I thought it, I, I thought it held up. I thought it was okay. Um, uh, when I said I didn't rewrite, uh, I meant I wasn't, you know, I didn't change the continuity. I was keeping this in the 2005 continuity. Right, right. Um, I didn't want to update it because, frankly, it would be a, that would necessitate really writing a whole new novel, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the continuity is so different uh, than it was 15 years ago. Um, and besides that, like I, like I wrote, eventually this continuity is going to be obsolete too. So right, right. what difference does it make? But <laughs> I, did, I did tweak it. I, I did tweak the prose a bit. Um, there was a lot of clunky stuff that I have learned, you know, since learned not to do anymore. Um, so I, I fixed those, those things, you know, I, I had certain verbal tics that I, that I am now aware of, uh, not, not verbal, uh, you know, writing tics that, that I am now aware of and, you know, can, can eliminate when I come across them. Uh, so things like that, um, I did punch it up a little bit, but, um, you know, as far as it goes, the, the word count, um, you know changed by maybe a few hundred words, you know, the addition of a few hundred words. It really wasn't that, you know, that type of major operation. Unfortunately, I don't think it needed it. You know, the main thing you worry about is, is the plot holding together. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And um, fortunately that part worked, that part held together. So, you know, it's just a matter of fixing some of the, uh, some of the wording and stuff. So yeah, I was, I was overall pleased with it. Excellent. Well, you should be. It's a great book. Thank you. So, looking at the, it's got a really striking cover. I, I love the minimalism, the 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 way the lettering works for JSA. Is so Derek Gross, I guess is how you say Derek his name. Gross. Yes. Yeah, so how did the how did the cover come to be? So, because you said you had the original artwork with the iBooks version. So, how did this cover end up happening? Well, that I don't have the rights to. You know the, the sure sure stuff. So, um, 
I, you know, I've, I've worked, uh, Derek's a, a, a friend, and I've worked with him on, on a few things over the years, um, you know, with Charlton Neo Comics uh, and, and the like. And, um, you know, I just thought he would, uh, yeah, it just, I was looking around for someone to do a cover, and um, I don't know, I, 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 I must have been scrolling through, you know, Facebook or, or, or Twitter or something and looking for, you know, things to spark my 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 mind or, you know who to do the cover and i came across his stuff and i went aha and uh you know dropped him an email and you know he knocked it out of the park yeah the, the use of shadows and and again it was just really well done and again the lettering for jsa is just really clever yeah. so it's it's nice it's a sharp cover thank you well, uh, you know, with, with this here now out in people's hands, a book that you wrote 15 years ago, what, uh, what are you working on nowadays? Well, um, all kinds of different stuff. Um, I'm getting my next two books ready for publication. Uh, the, 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 the first one up uh, next month is going to be Son of the Unpublished Comic Book Scripts of Paul Kupperberg. <laughs> um, about five years ago, I published... Um, um, the scripts to five unpublished Supergirl and Superboy stories from pre-crisis that uh, were, uh, you know, when Supergirl and Superboy got written out of continuity, um, we were preparing a, 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 a revamp of both the characters. Hmm. And uh, so I had written uh, the last issue of The Adventures of Superboy, number 55, was never was never published, uh, but I had the script for that. And the first two issues of what was to be called DC Double Comics, Co-starring, featuring Supergirl and Superboy in in uh, uh, in, in their own separate features, um, w- was written. In fact, the first issues were even penciled and lettered. Uh, hmm. Eduardo Barreto did the Supergirl story. Oh wow! And Carmine moved over to Superboy. Wow! So, so, yeah. do, is is that artwork uh, exist as part of your publication, or is that a separate piece? Or I don't. I haven't published that stuff. I've just oh, okay. Published- um, gotcha. I mean, I've, you know, I've, I've put pages up on, on my website and, you know, on Facebook and, and the like over the years, but it, it's pretty stuff. I mean, some of Eduardo's, you know, I, 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 uh, some of his earlier stuff, he'd only been around a couple, you know, a year or so. So beautiful. Yeah. But anyway, so I published that stuff and um, I've since come across a whole bunch of other, uh, other unpublished scripts. Uh, I've got a three part uh, Green Lantern uh, arc that was intended for Legends of the DC Universe mm. and uh, called Emerald Interlude. Um, it was my it was my feeble attempt to kind of make Hal Jordan's sudden you know turn to evil to to, to give it some kind of you know a little bit more justification. Oh, okay. And then there's a a fourth Green Lantern story from the '80s that was uh, it was a fill-in issue that was actually completely penciled and lettered and drawn by Rick Stacy and, uh, and, and Bruce Patterson. Mm. And, um, and then there's a bunch of other stuff, a couple of Batman brave and bold scripts and uh, some short stories here and there. And then I've got enough for even a third volume with a whole bunch of Captain Adam stories um, from, uh, from the, from the early eighties. That's awesome. So if somebody were to, uh, when these are available, if someone were to want to get their hands on it, what would be the best way for them to get these things? Well, uh, they can, uh, they're, they're all going to be available on Amazon.com. Okay. And uh, also you can check PaulCupperberg.com, my, my website, and there'll be, you know, pages to that where you can click links. You can also buy them directly from me, um, you know, through PayPal. And, um, yeah. 
Oh, and then the next book after that is going to be, uh, it's a young adventure, uh, a YA um, um, uh, adventure time travel story that'll be coming in May or June from uh, Crazy 8 Press. Fun. That's fantastic. So I I should have asked, too, the JSA book is uh, the same ways for people to get their hands on the JSA book would be the same way you just describe Amazon and contacting uh, paulcupperberg.com? Yeah, or, you know, you just, uh, yes. Yes, if you check on, uh, check through there, there's a, a page you know, there's a, a post about about the book and and, and links to click to uh, to get it either through Amazon or me. Fantastic! I sign and personalize them because I'm that kind of guy. I didn't want to. I didn't want to brag, but yeah, my copy does say "To Shag the All Star Adventure Continues." Best Paul Copperberg. I you know, just saying. I don't, I don't want to brag, Shag, but uh, Paul personally delivered his copy to me. He literally came to my house. During a pandemic? Yeah. So, you know. Well, I also had that new Gladiator movie to show you. <laughs> <laughs> I bet Kelly loved that. <laughs> I, think, I think it's a good time to wrap up this interview. So, uh, <laughs> I'm not ashamed. <laughs> so, well, Paul, thank you so much for coming by. It was great to talk to you again. And uh, we're just uh, so happy that this book is out. And it said it lined up so perfectly with this new show that Shag and I launched for the Justice Society Presents on the network. And like, boom, we've got a, the longest JSA story ever written uh, to enjoy. So it's just been great. And uh, like I said, we wish you success with uh, all of your myriad projects because he has a good Lord. You're, the, the list that Paul just gave you, everybody, that's like 10% of what he's working on. He just kept it short. I mean, the man, the man yeah, keeps I, busy. I've got, I've got, a, I've got enough material for about five or six books at the moment. And I'm still working on other... Uh, on on new stuff, so yeah, I'm trying to keep busy, trying to build up a a a, uh, a catalog and um, and stay alive. Buy my books, please. Uh, <laughs> All right. Well, again, thanks so much for stopping by, Paul. It was great talking to you. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks, guys. This was a real pleasure. Really appreciate it. Thanks. Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. Richard Richard Pryor? Pryor? Yes, it's Superman 3 Movie Minute. On Superman 3 Movie Minute, we'll be examining Richard Lester's 1983 film, Five Minutes at a Time. This time around, we don't just have Superman. We have evil Superman, Lana Lang, a scary robot lady, and yes, Richard Pryor. Coming soon to the Fire and Water Podcast Network. You don't know about me and him? Me and Superman? All right. Uh, Wow, Shag, that was so much fun. Uh, I mean, just so great talking to Paul. He's always a blast. And uh, like I said, it's just exciting when it's somebody that you really admire and has this great new project to talk about. So it was that was that was just really fun talking about the. It was a great book. I mean, you and I yeah. both tore through it in like a week, and it was just uh, really it was really nice of Paul to come on and, and talk about it with us. He he was super generous with his time. He was fun to chat with. Uh, I I geeked out probably more than I should have, but <laughs> it was a lot of fun. And again, it's a great book, folks. I yeah. It, one of the things I didn't get a chance to say then, and I'll, I'll just say now, is like you, it, when you read superhero prose novels a lot of time they kind of exist in their own little pocket universe uh not to steal a phrase from legion or whatever but you know like they, they the, the story kind of molds it to fit whatever those characters are and that's kind of the universe not this thing man it totally embraces the dc universe of 2005 i mean it just it just it keeps grabbing it all it's like yep let's do that i'll take that i'll take that so it, it's kind of fun 
to read the book and feel like you're literally in a DC comic at that point. So ah, it was so much fun to read. And again, Paul was awesome. I mean, just getting a chance to talk with him and hearing his love for the 1940s, all this. Uh, yeah, that was, that was really great. So folks, remember, you can get a copy of this, go out to Amazon and order it or go out to paulcoverwork.com. And, and follow the links there to get the book. It's really worth it. Trust me. If you, if you have spent the time to download a JSA podcast, I promise you this book will not disappoint you. So with that, you know, folks, you can go out to our website, which is, what's that website, Rob? Firewaterpodcast.com. Look for JSA Presents. Look for this show. Leave your comments there. Would love to hear your either feedback on the feedback on the book or feedback on the interview with Paul or just maybe some of your favorite comics that Paul's written. You know, whatever. Just join the conversation there. You can also find us on Twitter. What's our Twitter handle, Rob? JSA Presents. Exactly. So leave your comments there as well and, and follow us on Twitter and, uh, you know, join the conversation. That's really the key to it. So next time that Rob and I are back on this feed, we'll be doing a JSA Presents Crisis episode where we will tackle a beloved JSA JLA crossover. By the way, I just want you guys to notice every time we say this, Rob always says JLA JSA crossover. I'm sorry. This is the JSA Presents feed, Rob. We should be saying JSA JLA crossover. Just get it right, okay? I, you know, the JSA was guest starring in a JLA's book. That's all I'm oh. saying. Yeah, but who's really the premier team here? I mean, come on. All right. Okay. I, we're, this is weird. I'm not going to get into a fight with you about who's better because I love the JSA as well. So you're not, you're not going to pay me into this corner, Shaq. Which one of those teams is getting a movie this year, Rob? <laughs> Actually, both well, of them. Well, both of them are. <laughs> All right, smart guy. <laughs> both of them. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, that's going to do it. Thank you so much for uh, joining us here on JSA Presents. So, yeah, until next time. Join the fight for justice. Wildcat, I just, I can't believe I'm actually meeting you. My grandpa used to tell me stories about you guys all the time. Grandpa? So, I told the Prime Minister, call off your submarines or I'll summon a pod of humpback whales to... Hold that thought. I gotta see a man about a horse. So, Spectre, old chum, did I ever tell you about the time I... Never mind. <laughs>